mate 40 here so I'm really enjoying this book by Michael Wolf on the fall of Fox News and it contains a quote from Roger Ailes who says that most people on TV meaning the TV presenters are morons who learn to talk the talk right who learn to speak in an appropriate TV way by contrast, he says, Sean Hannity is a moron who talks like a moron. <laughs> and uh, then Michael Wolf has a, a section on uh, Rupert Murdoch employing the best First Amendment lawyers, uh, not in a mission to you know, protect important news for the American public, such as publishing the Pentagon Papers or the Glenn Greenwald revelations about uh, the National Security Agency and it's, it's spying on American phone calls and emails, but to protect the, the basic tabloid instincts of the Murdoch press. And Michael Wall says if uh, Rupert had a journalism dictum, it would be don't overthink. Go with your instincts. And uh, made me think, based on Ronnie Goodman's work in progress on uh, conservative claims to cultural oppression, that uh, one way of understanding the difference between uh, right and left is the left is more self-conscious. So most people in the news media are highly self-conscious and reflexive, meaning that they're always kind of monitoring their words and their behavior and how it how it appears to outsiders. They are detached and disengaged, right? They don't tend to be you know, partisan wearing their hearts on their sleeve, but they you know, try to appear to be you know, non-partisan. And uh, they're also disengaged in that they you know, try to allow themselves to be you know, driven by visceral impulses, but instead try to transcend those in service of you know, education, fighting bigotry, and uh, the, the like. So do you think that's a, a good definition or one major difference between left and right? Is that uh, the left is much more self-conscious, uh, buffered, meaning that they, they see individuals as strategic autonomous uh, entities that can can pursue the, their goals through the power of reason and achieve them with sufficient discipline, while the right is less self-conscious, much more visceral, and much more attuned to uh, basic tribal ties of you know, blood and soil and religion and uh, kind of less likely to try to transcend these, these basic visceral impulses. So I think that's also an important distinction between the, the Murdoch tabloid news media, like Fox News is a tabloid operation, and the prestige media, the, just the, the level of self-consciousness. So the Murdoch tabloid uh, media, right? They're having a good time, right? 
people on Fox appear to be much more enjoying themselves than the people in the prestige media because they're not as self-regulating. Right? They are not as mannered. They are more spontaneous. They are more visceral. They are people who employ kind of the lord of the manor morality or if you're the lord of the manor you can say more what you think you can uh, feel like you're the king of your own castle and uh, less concern for consequences and how every you know, different group out there might perceive what you're saying while in the prestige media there's much more of a courtier morality where you're constantly measuring your words on the basis of who's up, who's down, what's the consensus, you know, how will your peers perceive what you're saying, what could be the long-term consequences to your career, you know, how will various constituencies uh, experience and react to your words. So I think Fox News and conservatives in general have much more of a lord of the manor morality and uh, the prestige media and the elites have much more of a, a courtier morality. And uh, I've been listening to the Duran podcast with Alexander Makoulis, I think it's of Greek origin, uh, as a background as a barrister in London in human rights before he was disbarred for an ethical violation. So I suspect Alexander Makouris doesn't have the strongest courtier morality, but uh, has much more of a lot of the manner of morality. And in the most recent episode, they had attorney Robert Barnes, who I think has his own show on Infowars, Alex Jones's channel. And if you're right wing, right, Robert Barnes is a great delight to listen to. So I find myself enjoying listening to Robert Barnes's appearance here on the Duran, even though at the same time I have to keep reminding myself, you can't trust this guy, you can't trust this guy, that's absurd. So I'm listening to him, I'm enjoying him, like, ah, oh, it feels so good to listen to this right-wing attorney, Robert Barnes. His arguments are so appealing, yet when I examine them in any, any detail, they kind of fall apart. So one of his arguments is that... Uh, January 6 riots on Capitol Hill were no big deal because there were no significant victims. Well, I think there were probably you know, a couple of dozen police officers with non-life-threatening injuries. But uh, I guess probably the biggest injury from the January 6 riot is... What's that called when you have trauma after a conflict? Damn, I'm, I'm blanking in my... My old age, I'm blanking on uh, like uh, post-traumatic uh, post stress disorder, which I suspect the conservatives are probably a little bit more skeptical of the, of the medical nature of this diagnosis. And it's interesting, post-traumatic stress disorder is the one mental health diagnosis that uh, the latest DSM accepts, and it is based on... Uh, social reasons and social perceptions. So, 
for example, if you lose a job, right, that you've had for 20 years and that you love, and three months later, after losing this job, you're still depressed about it, you've got a medical, mental health disorder that should probably be treated with medication, would be a DSM approach, right? But if you were to look at things in a, in a social level, like experiencing such a significant loss and still feeling quite sad about it three months later, it's no more natural and healthy. And so uh, post-traumatic stress disorder also depends upon, it's the only one of the DSM mental health diagnoses, to the best of my knowledge, that uh, depend upon some kind of social uh, arbiter role. But probably the, the biggest injury, right, from, from uh, January 6th is you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, like the January 6th rioters didn't kill anyone, right? And uh, I don't think anyone lost their legs as a result of the January 6th riots, meaning the, the people in opposition. I don't know if any rioters got stumped on, I, but I don't think anyone lost their legs or lost their arms. Probably post-traumatic stress disorder is the biggest injury on the riots. Anyway, Robert Barnes is a great deal of fun to, to listen to. But the best thing about the Duran podcast episode with uh, Robert Barnes is what he brings out of Alexander Mercurius in response to Robert Barnes. And to develop on some of Alexander Mercurius's responses in this latest episode and, and combine with my own thinking, it, it shows the role of overreaction and how people sabotage their goals. So it was probably nearly universal elite opposition to Donald Trump and contempt for Donald Trump, Trump and dismissal of Donald Trump that got Donald Trump elected in 2016. I think that that's my working hypothesis that that, that, that played a role. There was such a, a uniform loathing of Donald Trump that uh, that helped Trump connect with uh, Midwestern voters who ended up giving him the presidency in 2016. Then Donald Trump's own behavior was so over the top that he managed to galvanize so his opponents more effectively than he galvanized his supporters, leading Trump effectively to lose the 2018-2020 elections and possibly even, depending on how you analyze it, the 2022 election. So in, in 2016, it seems that the opprobrium directed at Trump by his enemies was so over the top that it galvanized Trump's supporters more than it galvanized Trump's opponents. So when you're trying to make any kind of social, cultural, religious, social change, right, you want to calibrate your words and your actions so that you strengthen support for whatever it is you're advocating more than you strengthen opposition to what it is that you're advocating. And now it seems like overreach against Donald Trump, once again by the elites, has positioned him for, for victory in 2024. I think you can make a good case that many of these court cases brought against Donald Trump in the last year have been overreached. It's been an attempt 
to take away from the American people the option of who they can vote for in 2024, right? That's a threat to our democracy, bros. And so Trump was pretty much dead in the water until he started getting these, these string of uh, court cases against him, I think beginning in March of this year. And now with all these court cases stacking up against him, at the more legal trouble Donald Trump seems to be in, it does appear there is a reciprocal rise for Trump in the polls. So for Fox News in particular, they essentially had a softball ban on Donald Trump. They were all in for Ron DeSantis. And then uh, the March indictment of Trump in New York you know, broke that ban. And then the further cases against Trump in, in Georgia, and then the January 6th case right, uh, just galvanized Republican support behind Trump and also many independents. So ever feel hungry like a wolf in association with listening to the Duran Duran? <laughs> yeah, so Duran Duran is a, a visceral band. My favorite song of theirs is Ordinary World. I mean, that really speaks to me. So when you encounter a piece of literature or music or TV show or a novel or a film that really speaks to you, it's worth asking why. And so for me, this allure of an ordinary world that's just out there is uh, highly enticing. If I just get my medication level correct. <laughs> be, be careful on the streets, home. A black brother like you is a target for the popo. Wise words, my friend, wise words. As a... As an indigenous Australian, as an Aboriginal Australian American convert to Orthodox Judaism, I know the truth of which you speak. But uh, McCurris made a great point that I hadn't thought of. So one reason I listen to the Duran is that I often get perspectives and information and attention to news sources of which I was unaware. So I keep hearing you know, ideas, opinions, and information that I was previously unaware. And so McCurris made this great point that while the loathing for Trump is nigh universal in the Anglo world, right? Among Anglo elites, in, among America's elites, among British elites, among Australian elites, Trump is quite popular in Latin America and in Asia and probably in Africa. So we, we tend to think that, you know, the world is like the world we know around us. But with the election of Maloney in Italy, the surprising, the strong performance by Geert Wilders in Holland, the election of Javier Millet, who's converting to Judaism, apparently. You know, a strong pickup to the Jews. Right, the election of Javier Millet as president of Argentina. Right. And the surprisingly strong showing of support for Yair Bolsonaro, even though he lost to Lula, but he did much better than expected. His party did much better than expected in the elections. Right. There's a lot of support outside the European world for a Trumpian 
populist type of politics, which is you know, largely based on loathing of uh, elite consensus and elite prescriptions. So while the op-eds in the Financial Times, which I think I spend, I spend $180 a year for my Financial Times subscription, and uh, of course in the New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, in the American prestige media, and in the Australian media, you know, just widespread abortion for Donald Trump in these other parts of the world, right, you have the emergence of all these uh, Trumpian populist figures. <laughs> so, because the people we know are elite and they now universally despise Donald Trump, that's not true in much of the world. But, uh, there, there most likely would not have been a war in Ukraine if Trump had been president. We'd be less likely than to have war in the Middle East. I, I, I doubt that uh, Hamas would have attacked Israel on October 4 if Trump had been president. Uh, I think we'd be less likely to get into war with China. You know, the recklessness of Biden's foreign policy. So it's funny, Trump talks recklessly, but governed in a generally highly, highly restrained manner with regards to foreign policy, minimizing the chances of America getting caught up in foreign wars. While the Biden team speaks responsibly, appears to act cohesively and responsibly as the administration, but you know, least amount of leaking of any presidential administration in about 80 years. But the net effect of their policies has been absolutely disastrous. Hey, Crash, hope you had an amazing weekend, bro. <laughs> Do you find Bolsonaro similar to that flamboyant Italian leader, Berlusconi? Yeah, Berlusconi was a Trump before Trump. I just don't know enough. But from what I do know, yeah, there's a kind of a, a populist, visceral appeal to Yair Bolsonaro, Berlusconi, and Trump. Like, none of these characters are known for being particularly self-conscious. Right? Maloney, Berlusconi, Trump, Javier Millet, Geert de Vilders, uh, Marine Le Pen. Right? These are not highly self-conscious leaders. Right? They're much more visceral personalities. And so the, the right-wing way of life is much more visceral than self-conscious. It's much more tied in to traditional loyalties and attractions than disengaged, reflexive, buffered, strategic, autonomous, rational uh, identity is constructed by the left. All right, I hope everyone has an amazing day. Bye-bye. Wishing you good mental health like Dr. Fraser Crane.